everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Pitch on the way. Round ball, left side, coming in Bregman. He scoops the short hop, throws on a move to first, in time, and that is a ball game. A World Series no-hitter for the Houston Astros as they blank the Philadelphia Phillies 5 to nothing. This World Series is all square at two games apiece. And the Astros make history in the city of brotherly love in magical fashion with a no-hitter between four pitchers. Javier started things and punched out nine, and the Astros relievers do what they've been doing all year long, shutting the door. No hitter. Combined no hitter. The second combined no hitter that Christian Javier's been a part of this season. And the second no hitter in World Series history. As the Astros even the series 2-2, in convincing, dominant fashion, the bats woke up. And, of course, you know, it's pretty dominant pitching when you throw a combined no-hitter. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined here in the studios by an alert, energetic, and enthusiastic Miss Hannah Five Names. we got a great show lined up for you today. Whew. We've got a lot to get to today. We've got a lot to get to as we keep getting closer and closer to the weekend. Our friend from Trail, Ray Cloutier, will join us at the end of this hour to help preview another tremendous event from Trail. They have a two-day event this coming weekend. We're going to talk to her all about it coming up at the end of this hour. At 7.30, Lee Sterling is going to join us, our friend from Paramount Sports, our sports betting analyst. Huh, what a weekend in college football to look ahead to. He's going to give us his thoughts on the betting lines for the marquee matchups in the SEC. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com will join us to talk Saints as they gear up for the Monday night football game against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, as well as recap last night's overtime loss by the Pelicans to the Lakers. Gary Goff, McNeese head football coach, will join us in hour number three as well. And so will Connor O'Gara from Saturday down south, previewing the weekend of college football. So it's a jam-packed edition of RP3 and company. We will still take your phone calls, though. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. But we got to start off with the Houston Astros. No hitter. Christian Javier is their fourth starter, and he just goes out there and just deals. You knew it was going to be his night early on. You just worried, would the Astros give him enough run support? Because he was dealing. He's making Schwarber and all those guys look silly making him look silly and should have had a strikeout of Bryce Harper in the second inning. They didn't call it 
some bad calls by the home plate umpire when, you know, you're calling balls a ball and it's really a strike. <laughs> when the computer breaks it down, you're like, oh, okay. But Javier whew, just went out there and just made the Phillies' bats look silly. And this is what makes baseball great. This is why it's a great game. The night before, Philadelphia sets ties a World Series record with five home runs in a single game. Ties a World Series record. And the very next night, the very next night, they go out there and get no hit. It's baseball. I texted a couple of buddies of mine. That's just baseball, man. That's why you got to love the game. Because it can change in a heartbeat. Phillies had all the momentum. They just clobbered poor Lance McCullers Jr. into submission. Taking a 2-1 lead. They're at home. They have the advantage. And then last night happened. And now this series is tied 2-2. Whoever wins next two out of three wins this World Series championship. And everything's now reset. It's funny how baseball works that way. It's funny how it works. Because it looked like the Phillies were just going to roll, didn't it? Came back, roughed up Verlander, won that game in game one in Houston. They dropped game two, but then... After the delay due to the weather, I'm going to go there and clobber Lance McCullers Jr. Tie a World Series record. Lance McCullers now has a record he does not want of being the first pitcher to give up five home runs in a single World Series game. And they're at home. Nah. Christian Javier said, nah, I don't care about any of that. Don't care about any of that. He was dealing, and then they handed it off to the bullpen because he started nearing 100 pitches. And then the bullpen did what it's done for the most part all season long. Said, okay, not a problem. This happened earlier in the season. Christian Javier was part of the combined no-hitter that the Astros threw earlier this season. So this is not new for them. This is kind of their thing now. Christian Javier and Ryan Presley become the first pitchers to be part of two combined no-nos in a career, let alone a season. I'll say it again. Javier and Ryan Presley, who earlier this season were part of a combined no-hitter and were part of the combined no-no last night. In game four of the World Series. Are the first pitchers to be part of two combined no-nos in a career, let alone the same season. It's the second no-hitter in World Series history. And it wasn't just Christian Javier. They turned it over to Brian Abreu, Rafael Montero, and then Presley. And each one of those guys were in the absolute zone. It is ridiculous. Javier has the first 
no-hit bid of six-plus innings in a World Series game since Jerry Koosman in 1969. That's been a while. It's been a little while. Unbelievable. The Astros are also the third team in Major League Baseball history to have a five-run lead in three of the first four games of a World Series. This is an interesting little nugget here. Are only the third team to take a five-run lead in three of the first four games of a World Series. The other two, the 1989 Athletics and the 1937 Yankees, both of those squads would go on to win the World Series. And while <clears throat> Javier in the bullpen dominated the Phillies lineup, Houston's lineup came to life as well. Which has been an issue. Feast or fathom for the Strohs. But Altuve got a hit, scored a run. Pena got two hits, scored a run. Alvarez got a hit, scored a run. Bregman got a hit, scored a run. There you go. When their big bats needed to step up, they did. Now, they didn't need five runs. Because obviously the pitching staff was taking care of the rest. But this is the Astros playing to their potential. This is why they are favored to win the World Series. This is why people like yours truly said Astros in six. Because when they're on, there's no one better. There just isn't. The problem for the shows is that they haven't been able to have it all happen at the same time, right? That's been the big bugaboo for them. When the pitching's good, the lineup's not there. Or they're stranding runners in scoring position all over the place. Or when the bats are there, then the pitching founders, like he did in game one with Justin Verlander, who, by the way, will be getting the start tonight. Redemption time. It's redemption time for old JV. Series is tied 2-2. Go out there and do your job. Do your job. Just don't pitch terribly. That's his job. You don't need JV to go out there and throw a no-hitter. He's done that three times in his career. You, you, you don't need JV to do that. How about just go out there, don't give up more than two runs, and give Dusty Baker six quality innings. I think that's a realistic expectation for JV tonight. Six innings. Do not give up more than two runs. That's it. They can hand it over to the bullpen and the lineup can at least score three runs to win the game. That's all. That's all he's got to do. Can he do that? <laughs> we'll find out. We will find out. Aaron Nola's World Series, the former LSU star, has not been great. 
He gets roughed up last night, only lasts four innings, surrendering three earned runs while striking out four. His stat line for the World Series is this. Eight and a third in two games, giving up eight earned runs, and his ERA is 8.64. That is Paul Ball. That's one of Philly's two best pitchers, one of their aces. Two games, only eight and a third innings in the two games combined, giving up eight runs, all earned. And now the series is tied 2-2. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And they scored in a multitude of different ways last night, which was nice. They get Alvarez hit by a pitch. That starts the scoring in the fifth. Bases are loaded. That brings home McCormick. And then Breggs gets the double. And after that happened, you kind of felt it. You're like, oh, here they they come. Here they come. Breggs gets the double. Then Tucker gets the sack fly to bring in a run. And then Gurriel, who's been an absolute monster. When's the last time you've seen a, a hitter struggle for 162 games like Yuli did? Where he looked washed, done. He became a hindrance in that lineup. And yet, the postseason comes, and the oldest guy on the roster, the old man of the group, Yuli Gurriel, is just out there raking. Getting hits, getting on base. It's a ridiculous turnaround for him. He singled in the fifth as well to cap off the five-run inning for the Strohs, and that's all the runs they needed once again. Combined no-hitter, Christian Javier starts it. Presley finishes it. Their second combined no-hitter of the season for those two. And the second no-hitter in World Series history as now the series is tied 2-2. And that leads us to our poll question of the day. Now that it's all knotted up at two games apiece, how's this World Series going to play out? How's it going to go down? Will the Phillies find a way to win it in six? Will the Astros win it in six? Will the Phillies win it in seven? Or will the Astros win it in seven? That's our poll question of the day. We want to hear from you. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for them kids. More World Series talk coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Oh, there's no bigger, more animated Houston Astros fan than our guy Kevin Foote. 
And you can watch Footsie watch Game 5 of the World Series by tuning into the game's Facebook and Twitch accounts tonight. That's right. Game 5 tonight. Verlander will be on the bump. Foot will be cheering on his Astros, hopefully to a victory, and will be joined by some special guests, including our good friend Blaine Viator, another diehard Houston Astros fan, and Donut James Mesh will be in the house. Got to tune in once again to our Facebook and Twitch accounts tonight, starting at 7, to watch Kevin watch his Astros. Trust me, if you've never seen that happen, it is a thing of beauty. You're not going to want to miss out. Poll question of the day. Now that the series is tied 2-2, how will this World Series now shake out? Because it is interesting how it's set up. Verlander's going to go today. And to be honest with you, that's a coin flip. On paper, with his resume and what his role is with the team, you would expect JV to go out there and pitch well. But the man's never won a World Series game. And his last few postseasons have been well underperforming. Should he be able to go out there and pitch well enough for the team to win game five and go back to Houston needing only one win to win their World Series? Yeah, it should. But JV hasn't shown that he can. And we'll see if Dusty, if JV struggles, how quickly he'll pull him and just start using his bullpen, which has been phenomenal. But then the series is going, we're going to at least get one game in Houston now, back in Houston. Game six will be Framer Valdez. He'll be rested and ready to go. I feel more confident in the Astros winning game six with Valdez on the bump than I do Verlander winning tonight's game five. I still feel, though, that the Astros will win in six. That you have to think Dusty, knowing how close they are, is not going to keep Verlander out there if he's struggling like he did in game one. And then it'll make the move and let his bullpen take over and let them do their job, which is just being dominant. That's what I feel like. So I still feel confident that the Strohs can win this in six. But it would not surprise me whatsoever if Phillies win today, tonight rather, and then the Strohs even it up 3-3 on Saturday and then have to play a game seven. That would not surprise me whatsoever. But after you're coming off a no-hitter, only the second one in World Series history, after your bats came alive, after your big hitters actually contributed Bregman, Alvarez, Altuve, Tucker. They all contributed in the last night's win. You should be able to go out there, throw your ace, and get the job done. They will win tonight if Verlander does his job. That's all. 
get a couple of runs from the lineup, get JV out there to do his thing, and be done with it. You don't need to throw a no-hitter. You don't need to throw a complete game shutout. Just be good. Just be good. That's all JV's got to do. doesn't have to be great. doesn't have to be dominant. doesn't have to be legendary. Just be good. And the Astros will win tonight. And if they win tonight, they're going to win in six. That's kind of how it feels. And you go back, they actually had not given up a hit to the Phillies the two innings prior in the game that they lost. So the bullpen is figuring out, knows how to pitch against the Phillies lineup. Once again, I do not expect a no-hitter again tonight. But man, it, it, it's, it is set up now perfectly for the Strohs to take control of this series after last night. Because your hitters that have been struggling got production from them. Your bullpen was fantastic. Christian Javier was amazing. You had the combined no-hitter. Now it's all tied up. Win tonight, go home. You only need to win one out of two. You're on the cusp of a World Series championship. Will JV get it done? That is something that remains to be seen. Going to find out. We're going to find out tonight. Of course, you can listen to that game live right here on the game. Astro launch will begin with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. No Thursday night football between the Texans and the Eagles. We're rolling with the World Series instead. That's also our poll question of the day. How will the World Series now shake out? It's tied up two games apiece. We're going to at least get six games in the World Series. How will it shake out? Right now, 50% of you say Astros in six. 50% of you say Astros in seven. Salty Steve says, who cares at this point? Great games, records broken every game, and individual performances that keep you glued to the game. Let's go seven. The series is awesome, baby, with a capital A. Look at Salty Steve with a non-salty comment. My man, it's not even Friday yet, and Steve is already on the no-salt train. Look at him. Good for him. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I always felt it would be Astros in six, but I also thought the Pels would have no problem with the Lakers. Good morning. Oh, we'll get to that. Look at, Of course they lose to the Lakers. Ralph Bergeron says, I'll bet Foot says no hitting the Phillies was a bad thing. <laughs> Next game, their bats will go wild. Strohs in seven and the entire city of Houston's mattresses will be free, free, free. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean, and we will share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk about those Pelicans. Oh, man. Lakers are a dumpster fire. Should be an easy win. 
but the Lakers, they get up and they play their best basketball the last couple of years when they play the Pelicans. And they did it again last night. We'll talk about that. And take your phone calls. Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. And look, sometimes multiple lines are going to be in one area. and You have no idea. You really don't. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a brand new fence, privacy, chain link, really doesn't matter, pool, in ground, above ground, garden, gazebo, a shed, it does not matter what you're doing you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. Simple, right? It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service, and to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Don't forget to keep voting on that poll question of the day. Now the series is tied 2-2. How do you think this World Series is going to shake out? Phillies in six, Astros in six, Phillies in seven, Astros in seven. We want to hear from you. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, let's talk while we have a few minutes about the association. Pelicans on the West Coast trip looking to win their second game over a team from Los Angeles. And they fall short, losing in overtime 120 to 117 to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are awful. They're just terrible, yet again. But the Pels, well, they find a way to lose to them. For whatever reason, and Ali Cassell, when he joined us from the Bird Rights on Tuesday show, talked about. The Lakers always gear up for the Pels because it's all rooted in the Anthony Davis trade. And LeBron and AD, they feel they get an extra level of motivation to go up against Davis's old team. Almost like to prove a point. Yeah, we made the trade and he's better off with us. We don't care about your youth movement. We don't care about what you're building. We got a championship out of it. You haven't got past the first round of the playoffs. 
And that's how it seems like. Even when they are dysfunctional, and the Lakers have been dysfunctional now for a couple of years, they rise up anytime they face the Pelicans. Sure enough, LeBron and AD both had 20 points. Both had double-doubles. AD had 20 and 16. LeBron had 20 and 10. They even got contributions from Larry Walker, the fourth, who dropped 28. He led them in scoring. That's right there playing Larry Walker, the fourth. Russell Westbrook got him 13 points off the bench. And the Lakers win in overtime. Matt Ryan hits the buzzer-beating three to send the game to overtime. Who's Matt Ryan? Glad you asked. He had 11 points. <laughs> I mean, they win the game right there if they don't give up the three-pointer. At the buzzer, in the corner, right side by the bench. Drains it, money, done. Zion had 27 points, seven assists, five rebounds. C.J. McCollum had 22 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, nearly had a triple-double himself. They got 12 points from Trey Murphy, but Jonas Valachunas, 9 and 10, kind of had a down night. Najee Marshall, once again, nine points. They're playing without Brandon Ingram, who did not make the trip on the West Coast because of the concussion. They're not playing with Herb Jones because he's still banged up. So two of their starters are out. They lose in overtime on the road to LeBron James, Anthony Davis. It's not exactly the end of the world. But, man, you know the Pelicans wanted to win that game. And even without two starters, they nearly beat the Lakers. And once again, as I said before, the Lakers love playing up for the Pelicans. They just do. Nice game from Alvarado. 15 points off the bench, but just not enough as the Pelicans now fall to 4-3 and three on the season. Lakers improved to 2-5 and five on the year. Which one of these teams is going to make it to the postseason? Uh, I feel far more confident about the Pelicans. When healthy, getting B.I. back and getting Herb back will be... They're going to be so good when that happens. But you worry about Ingram with this concussion a little bit. I know it's early. I get that. I really do. But you're playing it safe, and it's a long season in the association. It just is. But I don't know, man. Like, you couldn't make the West Coast trip at all. Got to keep an eye on that. And once again, the Pelicans can be a top three seed in the West this year. But it's all going to depend on the health of the team. And we thought it had to deal with just the health of Zion, but now it's going to have to deal with the health of the team altogether, including B.I. and Herb Jones. In other action last night on the hardwood, a heck of a game between Boston and Cleveland. Celtics Cavaliers. 
That game goes to overtime as well. 114 to 113, Cavs win. Tatum has 26 for Boston, 30 points from Jalen Brown. Not enough. Donovan Mitchell, 25 points. Garland, 29 points. All five starters for the Cavs scored in double figures. Cavs are 6-1, and one, by the way. Their trades, they're paying off in a big way. Going out and getting Spider from Utah like they did. He fits perfectly in with Mobley and Allen. It just does. Great start to the season for the Cavaliers. They're 6-1. and one. But there's no one as good this season to start off the season as the Milwaukee Bucks. They're 7-0. and oh. They crushed Detroit. 116 to 91. Pistons fall to 2 and 7. That's not an optimal start. And the Bucks, man, they just whew, they look so good. Giannis, uh, well, he just had a ho-hum 32.12 rebound, four assists, five steal, two block performance. He is the Greek freak. But Drew Holiday, 26 points. They had eight different players come off the bench and contribute. Milwaukee is absolutely rolling. Once again, Detroit, they're in a rebuild. But still, Bucks, Cavs early on look like the two best teams in the NBA in this early stretch of the season. Can the Pelicans get back on track? Absolutely, they can. Absolutely, they can. Got to get healthy, though. That would help immensely. <laughs> Have to get healthy, though. Have to get healthy. Don't forget, vote on our poll question of the day. Now that the World Series is tied to games apiece, how's it going to go down? How's it going to shake out? Is it going to be Phillies in six or Astros in six? Is it going to be Phillies in seven or Astros in seven? Go vote. And then leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Coming up, we'll wrap up our number one with Ray Cloutier joining us from Trail. They have a great event this weekend in St. Martin Parish and Vermilion Parish. We'll tell you all about it. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we wrap up our number one on this Thursday edition. Don't forget to get those votes in for the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. But before we wrap up our number one, we're going to talk about a great event that's happening this weekend. You've heard us talk about it all week. It's Bikes, Brews, and Omelets 2 brought to you by L.A. Trail. And to talk to us about it is our old friend, the other Ray, the Ray of Sunshine, even more so than yours truly. Ray Cloutier joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Ray, tell us all about this event. Why is it so special and why is it so unique for Acadiana? 
The uh, so bikes for anonymous two it kind of has an opportunity for different cyclists to cycle, and then we have our hardcore guys that are going to do a hundred miles in a day. God bless them! And then you'll have more of our regular folks like us doing twenty one thirty and up. And um, so on Saturday we'll start and end at Parc du Pont in Bro Bridge, and where we'll have food from Tante Marie waiting for us. And then on Sunday we're going to leave and return to the Great Omelette Celebration in. Abbeville, Louisiana. Let me tell you something what you guys do, and this this is meant as a compliment, because here you are, you're promoting this great, healthy event. It's all about exercise. It's all about fitness. It's all about being in nature. And at the end, I can eat gumbo in omelets. So you got me. I'm, I'm intrigued already, even for the, the, the fellas that are not going to be taking part in the 100 miles on the bicycle. But this is kind of a great thing where you guys make this more than just the athletic event it's it's a party it's an event it's all about the community and all about having fun and that's something that you guys do so well over at trail well thank you and don't forget we always have some grown-up adult beverages waiting at the finish line for you because you worked hard darn it and you should deserve a drink the uh, and soft drinks of course the um but a trail i mean we're a fun we're a nonprofit that raises funds for outdoor recreation and parks and bike paths so of course we're gonna want to make it worth your while to participate and help us raise these funds so bikes brews and omelets is a two-day thing it's got something for everyone and and then it segues into our last event of the year, which is Cajun Country Run, which has six events and one party. And that is our running event that has a one-mile fun run, because we want those kids to come see Santa. It's got a 5K and a 10K on the trails, and it's got a 5K, 10K, and Acadiana's oldest half marathon on the roads in Acadiana Park in, on the north side of town. We'll get to more about that event a little bit later on, but I want to ask you, when you put on something like this and it's all about fitness and it's all about community and it's all about, you know, getting people to be active and having fun while doing it, because that's the big hurdle for most people is when they try to stay active or try to get fit is that it starts to become work. It's not as fun. And you guys do a great job with this. But the other thing is so many people are coming from all parts of the state and outside of the state to come be part of these events. Tell us a little bit about the people that have already signed up to take part in the Bikes, Brews, and Omelets, too. Where are they coming from? Primarily, probably Louisiana, but what other parts of the country are they coming in for this event for? Uh, we have tons of people from Texas, from Virginia, from Georgia, from Washington State, and they come and bring their tourism dollars all the way down here. God bless them. And then we have tons of people from from out of our parish and even outside of the Acadiana that come from northern Louisiana, and they bring their tourism dollars yeah. right here. So, I mean, all these events, not only are they good for our projects, but they're also good for Lafayette hotel rooms and all the and taxes and our roads so we can have some smoother roads to do all the stuff we want to do. Once again, Bikes, Brews, and Omelets 2. It's this weekend. It's the latest L.A. Trail event, and it's a great one. It's a two-day event. Saturday, the bike path is going to go from St. Martin Parish. It's going to end up at Taunt Marie. You're going to have great food provided from them, some delicious gumbo. On Sunday, the start line and the finish line is going to be in Abbeville, home of the giant omelet celebration. They've tied into that. So two tremendous events this weekend. It's all part of the Bikes, Brews, and Omelets 2. You can go sign up for it at L.A. Trail 
latrail.org. That's latrail.org. Now, you had mentioned it briefly earlier, Ray, about the last event of the season. Once you get through this week, this great event that's going to be this weekend, two different parishes, two-day event, tell us again about the event that you guys are going to wrap up your 2022 with again and where people can go to get more information about it and how they can go register. All right. So Cajun Country Run is our season finale. And again, that is six parties in one. So one mile and then you have two choices of 5Ks, two choices of 10Ks and half marathon. And it's on the north side of town at Acadia Animal on Thanksgiving Saturday, November 16th. We are, oh, and we're always looking for volunteers for all these events because it takes a lot of places, a lot of people to kind of put these together. And even if it's just standing there and cheering people on to ensure that they go in the right direction, like we need lots of people like that and um <coughs> excuse me and there's a costume contest at that event too santa's gonna be there and uh again if you want to go to latrail.org you can find out about the events you can find out about volunteering and sponsorships too because we can always use sponsorships to make better events to make the fundraisers better to bring in more funds to make better projects one last question for you. You mentioned all the delicious food that you guys always have at the end. For the final event, since it's on Thanksgiving weekend, can I expect to have some turkey, cornbread dressing, some mashed potatoes and gravy, maybe some green bean casserole waiting for me at the finish line? You can expect that all you want, but you'll be sorely disappointed. <laughs> However, we will have something delicious that'll bring you joy after running hopefully longer than you thought you could and uh try to up your game every time and there's there's just there's something for everyone so everyone's going to be happy one way or another years ago i know it's it's hard to believe this now but years ago i did take part in 5k's i was trying to be healthy and i'd lost a bunch of weight and i was doing a 5k and i tell you the first time i did a 5k and i got done with the 5k and i came across the finish line and they gave me that banana to eat it was the greatest tasting banana of all time you could have never given me anything else at that moment that would have tasted as good as that banana did because i ate the banana drank my water and then lay down in the grass for about 15 minutes yes i remember the first 10k i ever did i i was too scared to sit down after because i was so sore but you're right that banana was delicious oh another thing about uh, cajun country run that's fun other than the finishers medal that you get at the finish line and every i think i ordered a hundred 280 trophies or 240 trophies at the end, but the top echelon get the Gatorhead trophy, the coveted Gatorhead trophy. Now, this is a taxidermied Gatorhead on a plaque, and that is the gate that is the mecca at the end of the day. <laughs> the no disrespect, the uh, but in our world, so the um, and then of course, we have other uh, other awards, and we have awards for the um. Uh, costume contest and because costumes are welcomed and rewarded i love it ray appreciate your time as always best of luck this weekend with the great events that you got coming up can't wait to talk to you again and uh if uh, we don't talk to you before thanksgiving happy thanksgiving to you and your family do you do thank you sir there's no bigger and more animated Houston Astros fan than our guy, Kevin Foote. That's right. You know Footsie. He gets animated. He gets fired up watching his Astros, talking about his Astros. Well, guess what? You can watch Foot watch Game 5 of the World Series tonight by tuning into the game's official Facebook and Twitch accounts. Foote is going to be cheering on his Astros, hopefully to a victory, and will be joined by some special guests like our guy Blaine Viator and James Mesh. So tune in to the game's Facebook and Twitch accounts tonight, starting at 7, to watch Foot watch the Astros in Game 5 of the World Series.
That's going to do it for our number one of RP3 and Company. Our number two coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Houston Astros even up the World Series, led by a combined no-hitter. Only the second no-hitter in World Series history as Christian Javier continues to be magnificent. As it's his second combined no-hitter he's been part of just this season. Ryan Presley closed it out for him just like they did earlier this season. 5 nothing victory. And now the World Series is knotted up two games apiece. Which means we're going to get at least a game six, maybe even a game seven. Javier, this is what Christian Javier, who is the number four pitcher on the Astros staff. Once again, he's the number four guy. Not the number one, not the number two. Probably should be the number three. The way Lance McCullers has pitched since coming back from the IL. But Javier, in his last six starts, including the regular season, this is what Christian Javier has done. He's 5-0. and with an ERA of 0.00, a whip of 0.52, he struck out 43 batters, has allowed only 11 walks and 7 hits in 34 and one-third scoreless innings. I've said this before, and people have questioned, Astro fans are worried, What's going to happen this offseason when Justin Verlander becomes a free agent? They're going to to tell JV, thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. Great having you here. Glad that you were still part of the team and came back from Tommy John surgery. Thank you for winning a Cy Young Award, but we're good. They have Framer Valdez. They have Christian Javier. Those guys are young and really, 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 really good. Borderline starting to be great. And what the Astros do better than anyone else. They have the veteran guys that can mentor and allow the young guys to come up and develop. They do that with their lineup. They do it with their pitching. Once again, Javier in his last six starts is 5-0, and ERA of zero. Zero. Point zero zero. Just to bring it home even further. 0.00. 43 strikeouts, only giving up seven hits in 34 and a third innings of scoreless ball. That's good. It's really good. You have Christian Javier. You have Framer Valdez. 
the Astros are going to be just fine. No, it's going to be tough to see JV walk. I think he's going to be gone. I just don't see the Astros being able to afford to bring back Verlander. He's going to want probably a three-year deal with a fourth-year option. He's 39. He's going to be 40. This is kind of his last opportunity to kind of get one big paycheck. But the future's bright in Houston. Oh, don't mention oh, don't forget about Hunter Brown as well. Their rookie who dominated AAA this year. Strohs are going to be fine. And now the World Series is 2-2. And this is what makes baseball the best game. The best game, my favorite sport. Cuz this is what baseball's all about right here. The night prior, Lance McCullers Jr. sets a World Series record for giving up five home runs in the ballgame in a 7-0 shutout loss where Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker combined to go 0 for 15. Philly fans, loud as all get out. The place was rocking. Phillies take a 2-1 lead in this series. And 24 hours later, only the second no-hitter is thrown in World Series history against the team that hit the five home runs the night before. It's why you got to love baseball, because you never know. You never know. Of all the sports, the major sports, Baseball's the one where you never do know. Why do you think foot's always anxious all the time? Football is far more predictable. Basketball is even more predictable. Baseball isn't. You never do know what's going to happen. You never do know. We talk about baseball. Sometimes it's not the best team for the season. It's the team that gets hot at the right time. That applies more to baseball because of the series format. You don't get that in the NFL. We get, we have wild card teams that go on runs from time to time, but primarily it's your better teams that make it. That's how it works. World Series record the night before with most home runs given up by a single pitcher. And the Phillies tied the World Series record for most home runs in a single game. The next night, they get no hit. This is baseball, man. It it is what makes it so great. Because you never do know. And now, game five tonight... Astro launch begins at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. You can listen to it right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles. Don't forget, we also will have Kevin Foote watching the game live in the studios tonight. You can watch that on our Facebook feed and on our Twitch feed. That'll begin at 7 o'clock. Blaine Viator, James Mesh, others will be stopping by, hanging out with Kevin as hopefully he does not have an aneurysm live on social media. Keep our fingers crossed. Eh. 
We'll have EMTs on standby, not to worry. And Verlander gets the chance here. The resume for JV is first ballot Hall of Fame. Nine-time All-Star, three no-hitters, league MVP, Cy Young Award winner, rookie of the year, most postseason strikeouts in Major League Baseball history. Has a World Series title on the resume. Married Kate Upton. Came back from Tommy John surgery. Going to win another Cy Young this year. I mean, it's impeccable. Except for that one little thing. Never won a World Series game. ERA close to 10. Struggles. Was given a five-run lead in game one of this series less than a week ago. But now he has the opportunity to get the win and get his team one win away from winning a World Series. You're the ace of the staff. It's redemption time. And I've had this conversation with folks. He may be better served pitching on the road. He may be ready. It may be better served for him to be on the road. Maybe to be in that kind of hostile environment, right? Maybe it'll be better, make him a little bit sharper, a little bit more determined, a little bit more focused, maybe give it just a little bit of an edge. Some guys do feed off of that. Some guys feed off of negative energy. Altuve's been able to do that since 2017 in the Bronx. Every time he goes and plays the Yankees, he, he seemingly does better in a hostile environment. Maybe that's the juice that Verlander needs. No one's saying that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, Blaine. I'm going to call you out for texting me while I'm on the air. One. Two, if you listen to this show, I say that Justin Verlander is a first ballot Hall of Famer and he's in the conversation for being the best pitcher of his generation along with Clayton Kershaw. No one's ever said it. He's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I'm not sleepy. I've been up since 5 o'clock. How long you been up? You'll make me pull your ticket away from coming to the Kevin Foote watch party. Keep it up. Keep it up, Viator. Maniac. Of course, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So is Clayton Kershaw. Doesn't mean that they haven't disappointed. You can be both things. And for whatever reason, JV has always struggled in World Series games. Now, it makes me think back to my Braves. I've seen this picture before. I've seen this movie before. Not only did I watch it in the cinemas, I had it on VHS and then on Blu-ray. I've seen it before. I saw it with Maddox and Glavin for a decade. The best pitcher on the Braves staff in the 1990s for the postseason was John Smoltz. He wasn't the best pitcher on staff during the 162. That was either Maddox or Glavin. But when postseason came, Smoltz was the guy that was locked in. 
And Glavin had the great 95 World Series where he was MVP, but the rest of his postseason career was filled with disappointments. So was Maddox. And the Braves teams also did something that I see a lot with these Astros teams. When they're starting pitchers, their stars, their Cy Young Award winners, their future Hall of Famers, had an off night when Maddox didn't have his best stuff, when the changeup wasn't working for him, or when Glavin couldn't find the corners of the plate, the lineup went silent. And in game one, to be fair to Verlander, yeah, he coughed up the five-run lead, which is inexcusable. You're a veteran pitcher, a Cy Young Award winner. You can't give up a five-run lead at home. Just just not. No. Yeah, you got to be held accountable. But then the lineup, the bats kind of went quiet the rest of the way, didn't they? After that happened. So... I'm interesting to see what happens tonight. I like the Astros. I said Astros in six before the World Series began. I'm sticking to that. I think JV goes out and gets the job done tonight. And here's the thing. JV does not have to be dominant. He does not have to throw a no-hitter. Heck, he doesn't even have to pitch a shutout. It'd be great if he could. He doesn't have to. Does not have to. He can give up a run, maybe two. Give them six quality innings. Give it over to the bullpen. Astros win all day long. And the great thing about last night's game, in addition to the combined no-hitter, is that Altuve, Breggs, Alvarez, and Tucker all contributed. If you get just minimal production out of those four guys, they didn't give a ton of production last night. They all had timely hits right? They didn't go three for four with four RBIs or anything crazy like that. But they all contributed. If you get those guys to do the same thing today, boom, it's a win. It's a win. And then the Astros are going to win it in six with Framer on the bump in game six, back in Houston on Saturday, where I would anticipate Blaine Viator being, because he's big time. My man, My man's big time. He's going to games all the time, weekends, the whole nine yards. Ooh, that's a, that, that's the question for Astro LSU fan. What do you choose? World Series game six, possibly winning the World Series, or LSU Alabama? Ooh. Ooh. You already know what my answer would be. I'm a baseball guy. I'm picking my team winning the World Series over a regular season football game. Maybe that should be our poll question tomorrow. Ha-ha! There it is. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Randy to the show. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Raymond. Uh, you know, Keeping on the subject of baseball here, uh, I, I'm a bit older than you. I'm about 55 right now. And um, the first 120 years of Major League Baseball and the modern game are very different in that the middle relievers are way, way, way more important than they ever were before. Absolutely. And so when we start when we start talking about the starting pitchers, now granted, you know, the manager has nothing to do with a starting pitcher giving up five home runs. I mean he can't he puts in his best guy for the day and if that happens it happens. We all know. But what kills me and why in game three and four I stopped watching after the sixth inning. I couldn't watch it anymore. 
when they take a pitcher out, and the Phillies did it and the Astros did it, you take a pitcher out who's destroying the opposition for six innings and put in middle relievers, I just can't stand that. I've seen too many games blown that way. Mm-hmm. Now, it hasn't worked that way in the World Series, but that's why the Phillies are in the World Series. They destroyed middle relievers throughout the National League playoffs, including the first game against the Cardinals when the starter yanked it. Three hit shutout in the sixth inning. He's up two to nothing, and they lose six to two. You know, it, it that, this kind of stuff bothers the heck out of me. Now, granted, the relievers last night for the Astros, they did great, didn't they? But you mark my words, if you're using that gambling app that you guys advertise, find a way to bet on this World Series will be won or lost by the middle relievers. One way or another, it's going to be won or lost. Verlander's not going to throw a shutout or no-hitter. He's going to get yanked in the sixth either way, no matter how well he's doing. That's just how it's been going, and I hate that. But I'm watching the first six innings, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Randy, I appreciate the phone call, brother. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoy your day, bud. Yeah, you too. Thank you. And and, and Randy makes a good point. The game has changed. Where I I remember as a kid, there really wasn't middle relievers. You had your starting pitchers, and they were expected to go seven to eight innings. And then you, you handed it over to the closer. Now, some teams had a guy that would be a setup guy, right? So, so maybe you had your setup guy and then your closer. But that was it. N- things have shifted. Tampa Bay was kind of the, the first ones to kind of be on top of this uh, more than a decade ago where they started kind of changing their philosophy and saying, oh, you know what, our, our pitchers only have to go six innings. And then it's a relief, an inning of relief, an inning of relief, an inning of relief, an inning of relief. And, and that's how it's kind of shifted to the point now where your middle relievers, and to, to Randy's point, are going to win you your series. Because so many starting pitchers are on pitch counts. Look, the days of Bob Gibson pitching like three complete games in a World Series, those, those, game, those days are done. Even what we saw in, even go back as far when you saw Schilling and Johnson pitch as much as they did for the Diamondbacks against the Yankees in 2001. You're not going to see that. You're just not. The, the The game has changed or evolved, however you want to view it, to the point where middle relievers are critical now, instrumental in the game plans when it comes to winning games. Good phone call there. What kind of baseball phone call. Here for it. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you many times before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new grout-free shower line. That's right, no muss, no fuss, and also no odor. Sometimes that comes with grout after a few years. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking, looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Manny to the show. Manny, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for waiting, bud. What's on your mind? Good morning, Raymond. You got me? There we go, brother. We got you, man. Just had a little bit of a delay, bud. You good? Uh, we're breaking up a little bit. I just wanted to say that uh, it looked, you know, Dusty's got to think about, I know people are, uh, game seven. You know what I mean? We, I don't think he's running Lance McCullers back out there start game seven i'm thinking javier's gonna definitely start game seven uh mccullough might be used in a situation you know play a, a, a batter or two but uh you know it, it, it's just so the, the the world that we're in and it is very different than than when we grew up with me you know i'm a little older than you but when i grew up but you know it is what it is and those guys are unbelievable specialists you know they, they, they're really tremendous so uh, i really think Dusty is thinking game seven he's not gonna throw this guy 115 120 pitches and he's not gonna finish a no hitter anyway so uh you know i just think that's that's definitely figured into and, it. and manny i think right, I, I, I think i think you're spot on there uh with that assessment i think he dusty's thinking long term right you're thinking, I'm going to need this guy because I don't know if I can trust McCullers to go out there. So I think he's thinking, I have Jose Arquiti. He pitched well in relief okay. the other night. You could still use him. He only pitched three innings. And we know Jose has that World Series experience. So you could use Arquiti. You could use, you know, uh, Javier again. And it's probably going to be all hands on deck, right, if, if it goes to game yeah. seven on, on Sunday. I still like the Strohs to win in six. I, I do. I think Verlander gets it done or, oh, or does enough to great. win tonight. And then Framer's going to bring it home on Saturday. Definitely. If they win tonight, you know, I think it's six. And, and boy, Kevin's really going to be twitching. The Twitch is a perfect <laughs> platform for Kevin. Oh. to watch again. Oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> did they name it after Kevin? Or, I mean, did he? is he the founder of Twitch? Because that's going to be really something to see. <laughs> Did y'all, did y'all, Ray, have y'all ever seen him before uh, on the old? I, I, I did. When he when he used to work at the advertiser, I did watch those. And yes. I've seen Kevin oh, in person trying to priceless. watch an Astros game uh, in person and on TV. And let me tell you something. Priceless. It is, it is, it is. He's a treasure. Let's just say that. It's definitely. Y'all have a great day. Thanks, man. You too, brother. Thank you for the phone call. I, I like that, man. He's like, did they name did they name it after Kevin? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question because our guy Footsie, he gets he gets animated now. Don't forget, you can listen to Game 5 of the World Series from Philadelphia 
tonight right here on the game. First pitch, 6.30. I'm sorry, pregame begins at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. You'll be able to listen to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks on the call. And also, while it's going on, we'll have Kevin here live in the studio. We will be streaming his reaction to Game 5 on Facebook and on Twitch. Blaine Viator, I'm going to allow him to come by. James Mesh and some others will be hanging out with Kevin as they watch the Astros take on the Phillies in Game 5. Right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, Lee Sterling will join us from Paramount Sports. A huge weekend of college football on tap. We'll look at it. We'll look at the betting lines. He's our sports betting expert. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. P3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. For many of us, sports betting is confusing. You need help. You Maybe you're awful at the gambling like yours truly is well you know what paramount sports they got you covered you want to know why because they are going to put money in your pocket they're 54 and 18 on their 50 40 unit plays the last 12 plus seasons overall they've won 10 out of 12 weeks alone since the start of the preseason in the nfl they know college they know pros and the man behind Paramount Sports, Lee Sterling, joins us now to look ahead to this weekend slate of games. Lee, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning. I was just thinking funny when, when the ads before the, the segment started. I was thinking about, you know, I was hearing the ads. They were, you know, promoing the LSU game, being on the radio. And I was thinking back to when I was little, and I used to listen to games uh, when I was going to the temple or church with my friends and we would listen with a transistor radio hidden in our jacket and we'd somehow snake through the uh the earpiece and listen to the game as as it was going on so uh people don't know this one i grew up in miami and miami used to play games on friday nights is that crazy oh yeah yeah things have changed that hurricane's yeah. program was not not a good one for a long they, time. They almost disbanded. I don't know yep. if you know the story. They actually had a vote one time, and they decided, it was like 90, 1976 or 77, by one vote to keep it. But they played on Friday nights. The reason was it would get in the papers on the East Coast. They recruited in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. And if it made the paper the final score, people would say, oh, uh, here's the score on the Miami game. That was one of the reasons they played on Friday nights. Unbelievable. Yeah, how, how quickly the game has evolved in the last 40 <laughs> over, years, brother. You want, you want to be go back and look at coaching salaries. When Howard Schnellenberg was hired, I think it was like in 78 or 79, I believe he was making like 
maybe $85,000, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about a team that's in that same conference with Miami, and that's the Clemson Tigers. They are ranked number four in the initial college football playoff rankings. They're taking on a Notre Dame team that is on the struggle bus this year under Coach Freeman, his first season at the helm. Yet the line is only three in favor of Clemson. I look at that and I, I, it makes me pause, Lee. Uh, how do you like that game? Clemson, um, big game for him here. They, they can't afford to lose. They get up their record to 9-0. and They win this game and set up an ACC championship game against number 17, North Carolina, which would be a fun game. They can score. I don't know if they can stop anyone. Uh, and if they win out, they're going to be in the college football playoffs. So a lot of these other teams in the SEC, teams like TCU and uh, the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12 will be watching this game. It's that important. Notre Dame has played smash ball to win five of the last six games. Strong running attack, three running backs they rotate in and out, and their quarterback, Drew Pine, what he does, he throws a lot underneath to future NFL tight end Michael Mayer. But Pine has, <laughs> the last three weeks, has not been uh, playing well. Just 36 for 74 passing, uh, four touchdowns, just four touchdown passes the last three games and two interceptions. I just think the Tigers are more diverse on offense, pack more of a punch. Uh, and running back Will Shipley, they get in the red zone, he is lights out. He'll get in that end zone here. Um, and their receivers are also ascending. That was thought one of the weak points going into the season, and their offensive line certainly much improved. I like Clemson. I think they won by double digits, 28-17. think Notre Dame's a fraud. Let's go to what many people are calling the game of the year, and that's going to be Georgia-Tennessee. Depending on what polls you look at or what rankings you look at, it's one versus two or one versus three. Georgia is getting eight points in this and I know they're defending champs mm -hmm. but the Bulldogs have also at times their defense has struggled Kent State yep. Missouri springs to mind Tennessee's defense isn't very good I get that but eight points I don't know for a game that's supposed to be the game of the year more than a touchdown seems a lot to me what do you make of the betting line and it's been as high as like nine nine and a half at certain times, the first couple hours when it came out and first day, settle in here at eight and great. I mean, the intrigue is to watch this game because you got Tennessee's passing attack, and which has been almost unstoppable, averaging 45 points per game against these three opponents: LSU, Alabama, and Kentucky. And Hendon Hooker, 21 touchdowns, just one interception. He's the leader right now in the Heisman. Uh, race and if he continues to play like this, he'll win it easy. But George's defense is good. I just think you see sometimes teams that have won the national title. You know, they, their, their focus isn't there the next year. Um, George's balance, second ranked offense, believe it or not, total offense, fourth in total defense. Balls number one, obviously in offense. College football number eighty-two in defense. And I just think that George's defense, which slowed down Alabama. Last year has the players, scheme, and coaches to get the job done once. This isn't a best out of three, five, or seven matchup. I think Tennessee's going to crack a little bit tougher on the road. You know, uh, they in the one road game they were they were impressive against LSU. They jumped out on top, twenty nothing. You know, uh, LSU went for it a couple times on fourth down, fumbled punt, fumble on the opening kickoff. Um, this is going to be a different setting here and. 
I think Georgia has the pass rush and the DBs uh, to keep to keep the Tennessee offense down a little bit. I like Georgia, 48-34. They win by two touchdowns. If that is the case and then Tennessee wins out, do you still think they make the playoff? Yeah, yeah, I, I do think they do. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think I think if they win out, they still they'll still they'll still yeah. get a chance to get in. All right, let's go to the other marquee SEC matchup. That's going to be night inside Death Valley, Bama LSU. LSU surprised a lot of folks by being ranked number ten in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, even people that cover LSU and even LSU fans were like, "That seems a little high. Seems like you're mm-hmm. making that <laughs> that ranking for a particular reason to have a top ten matchup here." Uh, but this is always intriguing. This is not a vintage Alabama team by any stretch of the imagination. You and I have talked about that a ton on this show. Uh, they have holes. They are vulnerable. LSU is flying high. Another come from behind victory this time against Ole Miss. How do you like this game? The point spread is 13 in favor of Bama. I think that's too high. What about you? Yeah, I, I thought that like the Georgia line should have been seven. It's eight. That's one point off. And it's a bit, it's a key number, but this line should be like seven, maybe eight. Also, um, LSU, what have you done for me lately? Well, Jaden Daniels is playing some of the best football right now of any quarterback in the country. Two games against Florida and Ole Miss, put up forty-five points in both games. He's completing seventy percent of his passes. You compare to where he was first game, night and day. 12 touchdowns, just one interception, even seven rushing touchdowns. Okay, not quite Bryce Young level, but close. He was in an absolute zone uh, in the second half of their game against Ole Miss. Uh, Alabama, they are not a good road team. Two and six against the spread the last eight games on the road. Uh, Bama's offensive line, defense is not up to championship levels. I, I see LSU throwing on Bama's defense successfully. Um, I think we're going to see another Bama cliffhanger here on ESPN, uh, and they'll be eating it up here <laughs> in Baton Rouge. I think Alabama escapes 38-34, but I wouldn't be sh- shocked here if LSU wins outright. Let's go to the game that's also going to be taking on Saturday, and it's right down the road from our studios, Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They welcome in Troy Cajuns. Had things go wrong for them early to their trip to Hattiesburg. They were able to kind of rally, had a chance to tie it twice in the last four minutes, were unable to do so. Troy, with the win, they pretty much lock up the West Division title and kind of punch their ticket for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. They have a nasty defense. The point spreads five here, Lee, in favor of the Troy Trojans. Give us your thoughts on this matchup. So Troy is, is you look at their what they do, and it's not like – you know, they're going to run for a whole lot. Um, better passing game than running attack, but they just don't beat themselves. They're efficient. When they get in the red zone, they put it in. They don't miss field goals. They don't, you know, squander opportunities, and that's important. And that's why right now they're 6-2 and two against the spread. So um, they played Ole Miss tough in the first game, and people thought, oh, maybe it's a joke, but um, it was lucky maybe Ole Miss let down, but um, you know, they were they, their defense forced three turnovers in this game. And, and Raging Cajuns just have not been right. They have no running attack at all this year, nothing. And it's not like you got a stud quarterback that can bail them out here. And 
I just think, you know, sometimes that first year is just a trying situation, everyone getting on the same page, and I think it's going to take another year. Um, against a tough opponent that's well-coached and not going to beat themselves, I like Troy here. I think they win this game here, 27-17. Ten-point victory for the Trojans. All right, let's go to the NFL Monday Night Football Saints, Ravens. Saints get a much-needed win. Their defense finally woke up for the first time in a year and a half, and they put on a dominant performance holding the Raiders, who were top 10 in the NFL in, in, in offense, to only 183 yards. That was a season low for any team in the NFL. And they're, But now they welcome in a team led by a quarterback who they typically struggle against. The mobile quarterback has been the Achilles heel for the Saints' defense. They struggle with it, and they got the best one that can hurt you with his arm and with his legs and Lamar Jackson. But the point spread is only two. What do you think of this game? So I like the move from the Ravens. They shored up the middle of their defense. They traded for an absolute stud in linebacker, Rokon Smith. Um, just in time because <laughs> the Saints are averaging almost 30 points the last five games. Baltimore's last three victories uh, haven't been by a lot, just 3.3 points on average. Um, the Saints have five losses. All but one of those games occurred on the final possession, and the other one uh, to the Bucks, when they lost by 10 points. That was tied in the middle of the fourth quarter. Here's the problem. Minus nine turnover ratio has really hurt the Saints this year, and I don't trust the Red Rifle two weeks in a row here. Uh, I think they just faced a... Um, Raiders team that just didn't show up. I don't know what it was. I mean, they were just in a funk. It looked like they were going through a scrimmage here. And also, this, the, the Saints' home field isn't as strong as it used to be. Saints are just 3-6 straight up and against the spread. Last time, home, nine home games here. I like Baltimore by four, 27-23. 27-23, says Lee. All right, yeah. bud, give me your uh, game of the week. It's Mississippi State-Auburn. Yeah, anyone wants to get this game, um, I found something in this game. going to make a big difference. Just call 800-400-974, and we'll give it to them for free. Mississippi State and Auburn, um, is this a blowout? Or, you know, some teams, you know, with a new coach the first game, uh, they rally around him and play hard because they want playing time. You want to get it for free, 800-400-9741. What a run it's been with our, I mean, 50-unit uh, NFL game of the week and game of the year last weekend with New, uh, New England. We're now 54-18 and 18 on our 40-50-unit to 50 unit plays. We've won 10 of the 12 weeks since the start of the preseason. College football game of the year, 50-unit play, goes on Saturday. You'd like to come on board. We don't call it November. We call it November. Four weeks through the end of November, just $297. And get this. You can get through the Super Bowl, which will include rest of the college football season, nine weeks left of the NFL season, believe it or not. We've got 36 college bowl games, NFL playoffs, and Super Bowl, just $597. You can check out my record. Um, go to ParamountSports.com. We list every single game we've given last five years, documented, ParamountSports.com, under recent results. Love to have you come on board. If you're interested, uh, I think you'll enjoy the joys of winning here. Just one place, ParamountSports.com. Lee, brother, appreciate your time as always. Best of luck this weekend, bud. We'll talk to you next Thursday. You too. Take care.
we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number two of RP3 and company. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Uh, Want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? Then text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to win a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November the 10th. That's next week. Once again, text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to win tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Poll question of the day. Now that the World Series is tied, two games apiece. You got Verlander going today. How is this World Series going to shake out? Right now, 44% of you say Astros in six. That's what I said before the start of the series, and I stay with that. I still like Houston to win in six. Astros in six, 44% of you say that. 40% of you say Astros in seven. 10% say Phillies in seven. And 6% say Phillies in six. Mr. Green, a.k.a. Jamie. I put my thoughts under Ton's post and don't feel like typing them again if anyone wants to know them, LOL. <laughs> well, yeah, Jamie's ready for the weekend. Hey, school year's already rough on him. <laughs> Mr. Green says, LMG doesn't take the bump Saturday. Framer would. Still, I agree. I think Verlander gets run support, gives up a run, but Astros take it 5-1. Game six, Framer goes eight and a third. No run. Stros win 6-1. to one. Look at that detailed scores and everything by Mr. Green. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids. We did something yesterday that we posted on social media. Something by, we called it the Tortilla Challenge. So, poor Matthew Miguez. So, uh, if you don't know what the Tortilla Challenge is, because I didn't until I educated myself, courtesy of the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. So, you have to put, you have to have water in your mouth, and then you have to hit the other person with a tortilla in the face. And yes. whoever spits out their water first loses. Yes, and you determine who's the one getting slapped by doing rock, paper, scissors, and whoever wins is the one that gets to slap the other person. There we go. So the boys, Mesh and Miguez, did this yesterday. We posted it on social media. You can go check it out on our social media accounts, the Tortilla Challenge. Five names put it together. Bravo. Good job. Thanks. Miguez couldn't even get through the beginning of it <laughs> before spitting out his water even after he wasn't even hit. Started laughing and then spit out his water. Had to reset it. And then they used the small tortillas. So at the very end, and you have to go check this out, Mesh slaps Miguez in the face with the tortilla, but actually slaps him a little bit with his hand <laughs> because the tortilla is so small. And, of course, Miguez loses the challenge, and his face was all red. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know if it was bad to be a small or large tortilla. I didn't know that. I didn't really look at it. My uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law and son and stepson, they did it. And so I just saw the video, like, oh, we're going to do that. So yes. I didn't know how to be a large the tortilla. Wife, the, so. the wife said you have to use it large tortilla. So you have to go check out our tortilla challenge and uh, feel bad, just a little bad for Matthew. 
Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Les Seas. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Second no-hitter in World Series history, the second combined no-hitter involving Christian Javier and Ryan Presley this season in a 5 nothing victory for the Astros last night in Game 4 of the World Series. That knots up the series 2-2. Game 5 will be tonight. Justin Verlander will be on the bump for the Strohs. You can listen to the game right here on the game. Astro launch begins at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. And also make sure to check out our Facebook account and our Twitch account, because we're going to have our guy, Kevin Foote, here in the studio watching the game live on television, and you get to watch him watch the game. And if you never have experienced that, if you have never experienced watching Kevin Foote watch the Astros, whether it was back at the old days at the Advertiser, or if you've just never seen an Astros game with him in person, you're in for a treat. Got to make sure to tune in for that as well. That'll start at 7 o'clock tonight. Once again, that'll be live on our Facebook account and on our Twitch accounts tonight with Footsie. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans with a man who covers both of those franchises for CrescentCitySports.com. Our good friend Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? And by the way, is Kevin going to be on a seven-second delay? <laughs> yeah, uh, no. See, the great thing about Foot and, and, and something about him, as animated, as angry, as frustrated, as much as he yells, the man does not curse less. He does not curse. Oh, okay. Well, then we're safe. So, yes, we're safe. Because no matter how angry and how much he screams into the microphone and screams at the television, the man doesn't curse. So, you know, we're safe there, bud. But thank you for thinking uh, thinking of us. Well, good for him. More fans should be like that. There we go. There we go. All right, let's start off with the Saints. Defense looked dominant. Their best performance, not only this season, but maybe last season as well. They got the turnovers. They got the sacks. They tackled well. They looked like they were inspired. Offense were able to put up points despite not having Michael Thomas, despite not having Jarvis Landry yet again. They find a way. What did you make of the performance on Sunday of the Saints shutting out the Raiders? Well, it was their first complete performance of the year. They they outperformed the Raiders in uh, all three phases and by a pretty big margin in all three phases. I think they benefited 
from the fact that the, the Raiders are not a good team and they look like they had an especially bad day on Sunday. But the Saints had a lot to do with that, so they, they, they still deserve credit for taking advantage of a of a bad opponent. I think uh, you started with the defense. I think the defensive line uh, clearly had its best game of the season. I think Marcus Davenport, David Onyemata, and Peyton Turner certainly all had their best games of the year. I think the two young cornerbacks were outstanding, especially Alante Taylor, but Paulson Adebo also played better. So I think that combination, stopping the run up front and then uh, pressuring and covering in the pass defense uh, was just too much for the Raiders to overcome. They didn't cross midfield, I don't think until the last possession of the game. Uh, offense, they were balanced. Again, they won on the line of scrimmage. I think that was the, one of the keys to the game is the offensive and defensive lines were both outstanding. They made a, a obvious effort to get Alvin Kamara involved in the running game and passing game, did it well, also blended in Taysom Hill uh, exceptionally well, and they need to have both those guys heavily involved, especially as long as they have the injuries at wide receiver. And then the special teams came out with the big play when they identified the, the fake punt and stopped it and got three points out of that, and it was a big momentum play early in the game. So they were just uh, played extremely well in all three phases and dominated the game from beginning to end. It was It was outstanding. It was their first complete game of the season, like you said, Les, and uh, they looked like they played inspired. It, it looked like they were motivated. They had something to prove, and, and they got production from everyone. Peyton Turner on defense contributed. Alante Taylor, the rookie, stepped up. Tyron Matthew had a nice game for a change. Offensively, the same thing. Do you believe that this team has now turned a corner or do we need to see a couple more games of this kind of consistent play from the Saints? Well, we need to see more. Uh, as I wrote at CrescentCitySports.com, it, it could be a turning point or it could be an aberration. And we won't know until we see some more performances. And they're going to have a, a much more difficult opponent on Monday night when the Ravens come to the Superdome. Uh, but if you're looking for reasons to think it's – a turning point, I would suggest that the fact that this is the way this team has mostly looked since 2017 uh, suggests it's not a one-hit wonder, that they this is the team we expected to see because it's mostly who they have been with this group of players and with this coaching staff, with except for the obvious change of head coach. And so the, the, we were all expecting them to play like this or something like this going into the season. And the fact that it took them eight weeks to do it is surprising. But when they finally do do it, there's reason to think, well, they've, they've figured it out or they're starting to figure it out. That wasn't a fluke. Now, going forward, we're going to see them play at a higher level on a more consistent basis than we've seen previously but until they go out and do it you still have to have uncertainty about that we're we're still not sure if they're going to how high a level 
of quarterback play they're going to get. The defense still has to uh, do it more than once, and uh, they have to win the turnover battle more than once to before we uh, are convinced that that issue has been solved. So well, I tend to think that uh, it's a bit of a turning point, but we won't know until we see some more examples. With Mark Ingram now going to be out for, what, three to five weeks with the injury, we know Kamara is a stud and he can carry the load, but they like to have guys give him a spell. Who's that going to be for this team? Well, I think just looking at the depth chart, it's probably going to be Dwayne Washington. Uh, He was the guy who got a few more snaps after Ingram was hurt last week, but I think it's also going to mean that Taysom Hill is going to get more touches in a different way. He'll be lining up in the shotgun as quarterback, but he'll still be rushing the ball and I think getting more carries in Ingram's absence, but when Kamara's off the field and they put a running back in there in the place that Ingram would normally be in, I think it's probably going to be Dwayne Washington. You know, depth at running back after those top two has been an issue going all the way back to the spring. And uh, they've never fully addressed it. And, uh, you know, they have some options with the practice squad. They could also scour the waiver wire and see between Washington's a guy who's been here for a long time has generally played well when he's gotten opportunities and I think he'll be the primary guy filling in for Ingram what about Howard you know he's another possibility he's an experienced player uh, had some success in the league but uh you know, he hasn't really had an impact since they signed him about three weeks ago. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he were active. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him an opportunity to touch the ball to see uh, if he's going to be able to have an impact. But I would think that uh, Dwayne Washington, because of his familiarity with the offense and with what he has shown in the offense over the years, is probably the guy who's going to be the the first option they go to. We're talking with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. It's Thursday morning. I know we'll get an injury report later on today and another one on tomorrow. When can we expect to see Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry play? Can we expect to see them play on Monday? Because these injuries, which we thought weren't going to be long-standing, have now carried over to five and six weeks. Yeah, I have no idea when we're going to see them because for for two or three weeks now, you know, we we thought um, Landry had a chance a few weeks back. You know, he he played through the ankle injury back in London when they played the Vikings. He was close, supposedly, to playing the next week. I guess that would have been the Seattle game. And then – he never really practiced during the Cincinnati week, and I don't think he's practiced since. So it's there appears to have been, and I think Dennis Allen sort of acknowledged that there was a minor setback somewhere in there. And so the fact that he has not gotten any closer to playing the last few weeks is a red flag. Mike Thomas has not practiced hardly at all uh, and has been ruled out uh, before game day uh for several weeks now. 
So uh, I have no reason to think either one is going to be active on Monday night, but we'll we'll know more. You know, today's Wednesday in game week terms, so we won't know a lot probably for a couple of days, maybe not even until after practice on Saturday. But I, I have no indication that their status is going to change this week as far as playing in the game. Uh, let me ask you a follow-up, Les, and if – I guess my, my question is, they've been out for so long, why haven't the Saints put them on IR, which would then free up a roster spot for a team that obviously needs help at multiple positions because of injuries, yet they haven't done that with either Thomas or Landry? Why not? Why, why do you think they haven't done that? Yeah, I think the only explanation, especially in Landry's case, but I think uh, this is true in both cases, is at the time the injuries happened, they didn't think they would be this long-lasting. And so they said, well, there's a chance these guys won't be out more than a couple of weeks. Let's go ahead and keep them on the roster so we can have them ready to go as soon as they're ready. And then it's lingered. And so the recovery has not happened as quickly as they had hoped. If they knew at the beginning what they know now, I think both of them would have gone on IR. That, that's the only explanation I can think of. Let's talk about the offensive line because that was a big question mark heading into the season. Uh, when I see this team play, I see a huge difference in Cesar Ruiz at right guard. And before being sandwiched in between McCoy and Ramchick didn't help him. He struggled. It sure does seem like Doug Marone and Zach Streif have done wonders with that offensive line, in particular with the young man out of Michigan. What do you make of the O-line's progress since the start of the season till now? Yeah, I think the offensive line has gotten better. I think it had its best game on Sunday. I think all five starters played well. On Sunday, you know, watching the game and watching the replays, it looked like Ryan Ramchek was outstanding. It looked like Eric McCoy was very good. And it looked like Cesar Ruiz, as you point out, continued to progress as a young player. And I don't want to slight Pete or Hurst. I think they both played well also. But the others caught my eye a little bit more. And I think in Ruiz's case, we have to remember that he was kind of brought in as a guy who he played a lot of center in college at Michigan, also played some guard. And he was brought in to be a guard, but they also thought he could play center in a pinch. Eric McCoy got hurt during Ruiz's rookie season. He wound up playing a lot of center, got moved to guard last year. Uh, has been bouncing back and forth, did not have a real off-season program for two years because of COVID. And so I think there are some reasons why he struggled early on. He never really settled in at a home. This past off-season, they said, you're our right guard, learn to play right guard. And they gave him, uh, and he had the opportunity to have a normal off-season with a new and very good offensive line coach in Doug Marone, as well as with Zach Streif. And uh, I think that has paid off, along with just the natural maturation of a guy in his third season. So uh, I agree. I think he, after two rough seasons, I think he's been, he's been pretty good this year, and he looks like he's getting better 
And I think those are some of the reasons I would expect that the optimism around him uh, should be a lot greater than it was going into this season. Let's wrap up the part about the Saints. They take on the Ravens Monday night. Baltimore has the best quarterback in the league that can run and throw, and he can hurt you both ways And in Lamar Jackson. But Baltimore is also an incomplete team. Their defense isn't very good, right? Uh, And uh, they're banged up on the offensive side of the football, tight end, wide receiver, running back. Um, They're going to be kind of a mash unit themselves. Do you like the Saints' chances to win Monday night against the Ravens inside the Superdome? Well, I think they can. I think, uh, and the Ravens just made the, uh, the the trade for what was it uh, the Georgia linebacker Roquan Smith from the, from the Bears. Yeah, Roquan Smith. Um, yeah, so they, I don't know how much he'll play, but I expect he'll be out there to try and bolster that defense. He's the the leading tackler in the NFL, so that may make a difference with the Ravens' defense. Uh, I think the Saints can win this. They have to duplicate. The effort and the execution and the the swagger, to use their term, that they showed against the Raiders. But the key is they have to slow down Lamar Jackson. They've had trouble with dual-threat quarterbacks at times in the last few years. Uh, Jalen Hurts has hurt them a couple of times. Even Marcus Mariota in the season opener hurt them at times. Lamar Jackson is even better much better than Mariota and even better than Hurts as well as he's playing. So somebody's going to have to spy him. It may be uh, Pete Werner. It may be Demario Davis. It may be a, a DB. I don't know who. They may alternate it. But they're going to have to spy him and contain him in the run game without sacrificing in the pass defense, which is not easy to do, as any team in the NFL can tell you. So, uh, yeah, they can. They have to play as well as they did last Sunday, and then they're going to find themselves in a tighter game. But they're capable of winning it, but they're going to have to win the turnover battle, and, and Andy Dalton's going to have to play as efficiently as he did Sunday, which I thought was his best game as well. We'll get you out of here with one more about the Pelicans. They lose last night in overtime to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers seem to play their best against the Pels ever since the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, even when they're terrible, they seem to play well against the Pelicans. Even without two starters, they rallied, made a game of it, forced overtime, fell short. What do you make of what you're seeing with the Pels so far less on this West Coast trip? Well, I think they did well. The, the win against the Clippers on Sunday was good. Had they won last night, it would have been a very good trip after losing the opener at Phoenix and playing without Brandon Ingram. But that was a terrible loss last night. The Lakers are a bad team that played really hard. And the, the Dyson Daniels missed two free throws at the end that would have won it. He was only on the floor for defense because Zion Williamson had five fouls. They didn't want him to foul out as the Lakers tried to tie the game, and then the ball found Daniels. He got fouled, missed two free throws. They didn't get back on defense. They gave up a lot of offensive rebounds down the stretch. Uh, Awful defense on the three-pointer that tied it at the end of regulation. I don't know why Trey Murphy was worried about the lane when you have a three-point lead with two seconds left in the game. He leaves his man who's only on the floor to shoot a three-pointer 
that they needed to tie. So they're going to be kicking themselves over that game because as badly as they played in the second quarter, they should have won and they would have won if they hadn't had uh, several uh terrible situations with the game on the line but you know it's one of 82 they've already forgotten it because they got golden state coming in here tomorrow night and that that's going to be a game they're going to have to be focused on and then they got you know road games on saturday and monday so they got too much coming up on their plate to to dwell on a game they like in a way last night less appreciate your time as always brother enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you next thursday bud we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for us to talk a little college football. McNeese head football coach Gary Goff. Giddy up with Gary Goff is next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're roping in McNeese head football coach Gary Goff here on RP3 and Company to talk cowboy football. It's time for Giddy Up with Gary Goff. The Meanies Cowboys are getting closer and closer to breaking through and start piling up wins. They had a shot at winning the ball game at the hole last weekend against Southeastern Louisiana. Playing inspired football came up just short, but they're definitely making progress. And this Saturday, they welcome in the Eastern Illinois Panthers for their final non-conference game of the regular season. To talk more about the state of the Cowboys program, of course, is the man in charge of it. Gary Goff joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. I'm doing great. So let's go back. You know, obviously it's disappointing to lose the ball game, but you guys are coming closer and closer. It just kind of feels like the dam is ready to break for you in this program this season. I know it's disappointing to lose the ball game, but do you kind of feel the same way, like you're just that close to breaking through? I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, I know some of the scores didn't show that, but uh, we, we felt that way for the majority of the season. I mean, even at Montana State, I mean, we're, we're a couple of plays away from it being, you know, a, a one-score ball game there at the start of the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, kind of, kind of had the same feeling. Now, I'm very um, pleased with the guys. I, I thought they played with a lot of energy and a lot of heart and passion Saturday night, um, and it takes that. You know, one of our simple team goals that takes no ability is uh, to be the most excited team on the field, and, and I'm a big believer if, if you are the most excited team on the field, it increases your, your chances of winning that ball game. And um, so I'm proud of the way they played Saturday night. Let's talk about Walker Wood because you have to thrust him into the starting quarterback role for your team. Uh, He had been moved to wide receiver. You move him back for this game because Knox Kadem can't go because of injuries. Just give us uh, your perspective on what you saw, the young man who had to prepare, you know, kind of on short notice. Yeah, you know, um, I really thought he he provided a spark to the the entire team, not just the offense. I mean, uh, both sides of the ball were excited about uh, his opportunity to play and um, you know, he's a warrior. That's for sure. I mean, uh, he's a he's a fierce competitor, and um, you know, he's a, a definitely a leader of, of the team. And uh, I thought he did a good job. I really did. I thought um, you know he managed the game pretty well. He had a couple of crucial mistakes. Uh, the one at the very end of the game, you know, I don't necessarily fault him. He's just trying to make too much maybe happen right there. Um, but you know, he's, he's he probably had about ten plays he wishes he could uh, do over. But with that being said. I uh, thought he did a great job of uh, running the offense, extending plays with his legs, and uh, he, he threw some big balls down the field for us. When you watch the tape like you do every week after a game, 
what stands out to you that you guys are doing really well? Uh, forget about effort, but just kind of more X's and O's stuff. You guys have improved vastly as the season's progressed. What are you seeing on tape that you go, you know what, we're headed in the right direction? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, offensively, you know, we, we've, we've been able to run the ball pretty well all year. Um, but, you know, last couple of weeks we, we've had a few different receivers, um, you know, step up and make some plays. And, you know, I said it all year, the, the quarterback needs some, some receivers to make some big plays for him. And uh, we, we've had some more of that last couple of weeks. And then, you know, defensively we're, we're playing so many young guys. I mean, we're, we're playing a couple of uh, true freshmen. We're playing a couple of walk-ons on that back end. And uh, they have done a really good job considering the situation they've been thrown into. So um, I, I think uh, the, the DB room is, is getting better with every snap, um, even though we were kind of depleted right there. But, um, you know, so, I, I mean, I, you know, the guys are understanding our schemes on both sides of the ball. And um, you know, as long as they keep playing hard, we got a, we got a chance every ball game. The effort is there. The execution is what needs to be cleaned up a little bit. I think that's what you're trying to say there, Coach. And, you know, you just also have to be patient with these things as well, right? Because, you know, we've talked about it a lot, and you're not one to make excuses, and I respect that. But, you know, you got more than 50 guys on this team, (laughs) right, that you had to add (laughs) since you took over. So we're talking a lot of young guys, a lot of young guys maybe moving uh, positions and having to play in spots that they are not accustomed to. And, you know, that's the other thing as the head coach, you're, you're preaching patience here as well with your guys, aren't you? Well, I'm just I'm just telling them to trust the process, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm not using the word patience with them because us coaches don't have any of that, right? But um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just it, it's learning how to play. Uh, a lot of these guys are having to learn how to play at the next level. You know, they they might have been great high school players, but you know, some of them are understanding that at, at this level they they've got to live in the weight room. They they've got to watch a lot of film in order to uh, execute consistently for four quarters and. Um, you know, so some of the guys are learning how to do that, obviously, but uh, it, it is all about execution. And then, you know, we, we need to you know take the field and expect great things to happen, not hope. And uh, that that's one of the big hurdles we're still working to get over right there is, um, you know, do I really want that ball thrown to me? I might say I do, but do I really want to make that big play? So, you know, that, that's what I'm talking about when, when we're, we're having to learn how to play uh, with each other and for each other and, and going out there and expecting great things to happen. I know I've asked about him in the past, and I'm going to ask about him again. Uh, you got a special one there at the running back spot. He's stepping up for you in a multitude yeah. of ways. You've coached a lot of very good players, great players in your coaching career. What stands out about Deontay McMahon to you, Coach? Well, I mean, his work ethic speaks for himself. I mean, if you came out to practice, uh, it doesn't matter if it's the first day of spring ball or, or you know, the last week of the season – you're going to see this young man practice um, like his hair's on fire. I mean, he, he truly gives 100% effort 100% of the time. Uh, you know, so, it, you know, that that's, I think, why he's such a great player. He has worked himself into that. Because you look at him, he's not the biggest in stature by no means, but he plays big, you know. Um, and, and he plays so big, he's starting to get a lot of attention from, from uh, people wanting to come watch him practice uh, at the next level. So, um, you know, he, he, he's a playmaker. He's electric. Uh, he's got great hands out of the backfield. And he's powerful, and he's not scared to stick his face in there and, and pass pros. So, um, you know, I, I'm very happy that, that I get to coach him, and he, he's on our team. And um, we we got to find even more ways, if possible. Uh, we've been give, given a lot of opportunities, but continue to get him the ball. With three games left, Coach, how do you balance playing time for your veteran guys who have kind of stuck with you for this foundation season and the young guys who need those in-game reps? Well, I, I mean – 
definitely have not thrown in the towel. I mean, I, I'm I'm excited to coach these guys. So is the staff. I mean, um, I don't want the season to end, even though it's, it's approaching. Uh, I wish we can continue coaching because every snap, you know, we're getting better and, and showing signs of improvement. So, you know, we're we're still uh, going to put our best foot forward and try to win uh, every game that's remaining on our schedule. Now, with that being said, um, you're right. If, if there's situations. Um, where we can get some of the young guys in, we're definitely going to do that because they'll they'll um, they'll be able to keep their their uh, red shirt or their freshman year. You know, if they go out there and play in these last three games, so um, there already are some true freshmen playing. That was by need, and uh, you'll you'll see more and more get an opportunity as we make it through the season. And you know, we we hope that uh, we can get a lead and then uh, play some of these guys and get them ex- some experience. But if not, um, we'll. we'll we'll make the right decision that's going to, you know, give us the best opportunity to win that game. Our, our first goal is to win each and every game we play, but um, hope to get these young guys some more reps. You've watched the tape. You've broken it down. You and your staff have already done that. What are some of the challenges that uh, the Eastern Illinois Panthers are going to present your team on Saturday, Coach? Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit like uh, Mississippi College, to be honest. I mean, they're going to run the ball somewhere around 50, 60 times a game. Um, they, they run their quarterbacks, you know, so it's 11 on 11, you know, um, they, they play power football, uh, and, and they're, they're pretty good in the trenches. So they're, they're going to try to eat the clock up and, and run the ball, keep our offense off the field. And then defensively, um, you know, they, they, they play with three safeties back. Uh, I think they've got a young secondary, had some injuries, but they, they change their coverages. They, they change their coverages almost, uh, every snap to try to confuse your quarterback. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to uh, make sure we protect the football like always. And uh, our defense has done a great job of getting some big turnovers the last two weeks, and we need to continue that path. But, um, you know, we, we, we can't die a slow death. We, we can't let them, uh, you know, run the football and, and, and hang on to it for four quarters. And then offensively, we got to end our drives with points. Coach, appreciate your time as always. You guys are getting closer and closer. Hopefully this Saturday you guys will break through and and get another win and kind of end the season strong. Thank you so much for your time, and best of luck come Saturday. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate you. McNeese's game Saturday versus Eastern Illinois isn't the only big event happening this weekend in southwest Louisiana. Bikes, brews, and omelets too returns this weekend. You can enjoy some of the best cycling in south Louisiana and finish the day with food, beers, and live music. Go register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. There's a variety of routes ranging from 10 to 100 miles. Saturday's path explores St. Martin Parish and ends up at Taunt Marie with hot gumbo being served at the end. Sunday, it starts and finishes in Abbeville just in time for the giant omelet celebration. Bikes, brews, and omelets too. Go sign up today at latrail.org. We got to take a timeout. When we return, more college football talk as Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South is scheduled to join us here in RP3 and Company. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in next Thursday for Giddy Up with Gary Goff here on RP3 and Company. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. 
Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A huge weekend of college football is on tap. Tennessee, Georgia. Winner, more than likely, will punch its ticket to the SEC championship game in Atlanta. Loser, will still have a good chance of making the college football playoff. You got that marquee matchup. You have Alabama LSU, a top 10 battle as well. To break those games down, to give us his thoughts on What's going on in College Station with Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies? And more is our friend from Saturday Down South, one of the best covering college football in the country, Connor O'Gara, joins us now. Connor, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, it's an exciting week that we've had in the SEC and in all of college football, talking about these division championship games. But between that, the Auburn stuff, the first playoff poll that's come out, Man, I feel like there's just been almost too much stuff to talk about. It's been wild. It has been uh, absolutely insane. Let's start with the poll for the college football playoff rankings. I mentioned this on the show the other day. We've had six teams ranked outside of the top six in the initial poll actually make the playoff since it's existed. And there's never been an an opportunity, uh, an occurrence, where the initial top four teams make it to the playoff. So there's going to be movement here. But give me your first thoughts, initial thoughts on the poll itself. I hate all of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, look, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think that there were, there were some things that I was, I was very curious about and skeptical about. I didn't think that they were going to put Tennessee at number one. I thought they were going to have Ohio State in there. I was closing my eyes, picturing this world in which we'd hear the selection committee talk about how a complete team they are and how they've improved so much defensively. And that's why the Buckeyes deserve the number one spot. But in reality, Tennessee was the only team that deserved the number one spot. They got the two wins against current CFP top 10 teams. The only other team in the top 10 that's got a win against the top 10 is Georgia, who beat the brakes off of Oregon week one. And for some reason, that win wasn't valued more than what Ohio state just did. at a very likely outback bull bound Penn state team. So I think that that was that was very telling to see that Georgia was only at number three. Now, obviously, if Georgia wins out, like Georgia's fine. Georgia doesn't have anything to worry about. But the question becomes: All right, well, there's Tennessee, there's Ohio State, there's Georgia, and then there's obviously Michigan. These four teams can theoretically go eleven and one and be on the outside looking in of a conference championship. So how the selection committee values their resume now, in my opinion, matters. And Tennessee, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, all right, you know what, even if we lose this weekend against Georgia and we're not going to an SEC championship, we should have a really good chance, especially with how much they value LSU. So I I think TCU got the the worst deal of any team so far. I think TCU deserves to be number four in that first playoff poll ahead of the likes of Clemson and Michigan and even Alabama based on their resume, based on the fact that they have four wins against power five teams with 20 records. They have two wins against current AP top 25 teams. So I, I think there are a lot of takeaways, despite the fact that we all look at this and we always say, well, this stuff's going to figure itself out. But in my opinion, I think that there are some signs that we saw from the selection committee. The initial rankings also 
continue a theme with them concerning the Big 12. They just don't value it. I mean, how many times has Oklahoma not been in the top four or even top six initial rankings and they end up making the playoffs because the committee doesn't have any other option but to let them in? This is not a surprising thing to me that TCU didn't get ranked in the top four because I just think the committee itself values the Big 12, doesn't value the Big 12 as maybe uh, some voters do, media members do, and fans do. I, I just think the committee looks down at the Big 12 a little bit. It'd be weird if they didn't. They've, we're in year nine of this thing, and the Big 12 is yet to win a single playoff team. They've only had one team make the field. It'd be weird if there wasn't some sort of bias. Meanwhile, the SEC is 12-3 and three against non-SEC teams in the college football playoff. What, what if there was just no bias? What if, what if we really said every conference is created equal, even though we've got two decades worth of data telling us otherwise? I Correct. mean, think about that. I, I don't necessarily think that the Big 12 deserves the benefit of the doubt, and I don't. And look, I, I'm, I'm banging the drum saying that TCU is underrated. I absolutely think that's the case. But like last year when Oklahoma starts off at, what were they, like eighth when they were still undefeated in that first poll, and we're like, yeah. whoa, they really don't like Oklahoma's resume. Yeah, they kind of shouldn't. And I think the Big 12 is good. I think the Big 12 actually has depth this year, and it's a really intriguing race that looks like it's going to be TCU facing a two-loss or three-loss team in the Big 12 championship. So obviously all their eggs are in TCU's basket. But to me, it's still a good conference. But yeah, it'd be weird if there wasn't some sort of bias based on the fact that we've had all of this data now to show us that the Big 12 is not on the level that other conferences are. At least their best team is not on that level. Let's talk about the two marquee matchups. You caught some flack during SEC media days. I remember it like it was yesterday. You were on with Feinbaum, and you made the statement that you believe Tennessee could win the East and that they would beat Florida and Georgia. And people were like, whoa, what is he saying that? And here we are. They've already beaten Florida. They've already beaten LSU. They've already beaten Alabama. And now they have a chance to take down the defending national champs. What do you think about this matchup? Do you like it? for Tennessee to actually be able to pull off what you thought they could in preseason. Okay, so slight correction there. I, I didn't say that Tennessee would win the East. I still had Georgia winning the East, but I had Tennessee going 9-3 and three and beating Georgia. That's right. As well as beating Florida. And, and, so, and Florida, that's right. Yeah, slight correction there, but I do feel a little bit vindicated. I'll be, I'll be honest <laughs> with you because, man, what, what I, when you say something like that, you obviously need to be able to provide context. And I was like, look, I, I'm acknowledging the fact that Tennessee is 4-35, and 35, in the post-Fulmer era against the likes of Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. I'm acknowledging that we have sipped the orange Kool-Aid in the past, but I'm telling you why this matchup and why this Tennessee team, with the pieces they return on offense, it makes a lot of sense for why they can take down the Giants. And we saw it play out against Alabama, where, look, you can't rely on Alabama to make 20 mistakes over the course of the game. They're going to make like five or six. But when they make those mistakes, you can't just get like an eight or a 12-yard gain you need a touchdown. You need a touchdown because that's the way that you're going to beat a team that's got more talent than you. And Josh Heifel has that scheme and he has that personnel. And with Hendon Hooker playing at this level, that's what takes this thing to, to a different level and why they've been so darn good. But to me, they've improved in a lot of other areas. Tim Banks defensively, he has got that group playing at such a high level, and we saw that play out against Kentucky. And I think going into this, this matchup against Georgia, wherein, yeah, Tennessee should be the underdog. I still think they have an advantage to be able to exploit that Georgia defense. 
And where I think Georgia has struggled this year, which is different than last year, is they can't get home with only sending four. And if you need those extra guys to get pressure on Hendon Hooker, what does that create? It creates one-on-one matchups. There's been nobody better in all college football at exploiting one-on-one matchups than Hendon Hooker. So I still think they have an advantage in this game following a very similar formula to what we've seen. And I don't think Georgia wants to get into a shootout. I think Georgia is the team that under Kirby Smart, one in nine in games in which they've allowed 30 points. And they're 73 and six when they don't. That to me shows you everything you need to know about this matchup and why I'm still picking Tennessee to beat Georgia. Let's quickly go to Alabama, LSU. Alabama's vulnerable, and this is not a vintage Saban team. They struggle on the road last year and this year. They have to go to Death Valley. It will be rocking. It will be a great atmosphere. What do you think of this matchup between the Tigers and the Tide? Can't pick against Bama coming off the bye. Beating Bama for the second time in the regular season, good luck. It's only been done once in the last decade, and I I would argue that Tua's hip injury played a big part in that. And as much as I would love to be able to see the reaction of an LSU victory and what that would mean for Brian Kelly, a guy who's got one win against an AP top five team in his entire career as a head coach, an illustrious career that includes 290 wins if you include Grand Valley State, that to me would be an unbelievable thing to see in year one, especially at this point in the recruiting cycle, all those different things. Still Alabama, and it's still Alabama with extra time and extra time to see what it has done wrong. And what it has done wrong has been undisciplined on the road. And if you want to blame the refs on that, that's your thing. Nick Saban, I imagine, is preaching discipline to his team. And I think they show in this game that they are still one of the four teams in college football that can win a national championship. I think they speed up Jaden Daniels, force him into some of the mistakes that he made early on in the season. And this is a reminder that Alabama is still pretty darn good and we shouldn't be counting them out for a national championship just yet. Brother, I wish I could talk to you for a whole hour. Unfortunately, I got to take a timeout. Appreciate your insight, your analysis, as always, my friend. Quickly, though, give me 25 seconds. Does Jimbo Fisher coach Texas A&M next year? Yeah, $86 million is too much, man. Four times as much as what Gus Malzahn got paid to go away from Auburn. No, I mean, look, if you want to wait until 2026 to pay him less than $50 million, you can, but he's going to get a new play caller. I think that's what this comes down to, and everybody has kind of backed off Jimbo as one of the elite coaches in the sport. Brother, keep up the tremendous work. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your weekend, bud. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes, which should be a glorious morning here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, we'll take a moment to thank all of our guests. Ray Cloutier from Trail, Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports, Les East from Crescent City Sports, Gary Goff, McNeese head football coach, and Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South for joining us on this Thursday edition of the show. Final results of the poll question of the day. Now that the World Series is knotted up 2-2, how will it shake out? Final results, 42% of you say Astros in six. That's what I said before the series began. 40% 40% say Astros in seven, 11% say Phillies in seven, 7% say Phillies in six. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day, and thanks to all who shared their thoughts, their comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. 
Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers. 